Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good evening. Hello. How are we? Yeah, I'm one of those people that I need you to interact with me. So ask questions, you've got to respond. So I hope you've all had a wonderful Christmas with your family and friends who ate too much. Yeah, who didn't eat enough. Yeah. Mm. Who, uh, who got what they wanted? Who didn't get what they wanted? That's all right. Jesus knows your heart. That's all right. He sees. He sees. Well, I spent yesterday with my family and I have five nieces and three nephews. And I have to admit, it always amazes me at how quickly they can unwrap their presents. It's like lightning speed. And as quickly as they've opened one, looked at it for three seconds, they're on to the next one. And um, they just can't help themselves. They have to open everything right now or Christmas is over, the world has ended and life will never be the same again. Which seems a little bit dramatic, but it's probably a little bit true. Kids don't really know how to wait. And to be honest with you, I don't think us adults really know how to wait any better. Sure, we might be able to restrain ourselves in um, politely opening the present first, pretending to read the card, uh, unwrapping it so you don't wreck the paper because you don't want to offend the person who's wrapped it, and then going, oh, yay, thanks for the thing I didn't really want in my present. Um, We can wait for those things, but the big things, the deep things, the hopes, the dreams, the promises that you're waiting on God for, I don't think we're very good at waiting. We're starting a series, as Sarah mentioned, called Reflections. And when Sam asked me if I'd be interested in preaching, I initially freaked out, big heart palpitations, um, because I've never really done this before in this capacity. But when he told me I'd be speaking on patience and being comfortable in the waiting, I realised that maybe God knew what he was doing. You see, I know a little bit about waiting. But before I get into that, I'd like to take um, a moment and just pray. So join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity to preach in a ring of fairy lights. I thank you for every individual here who has come this evening, Lord, and I pray, God, that uh, we would not leave this place the same, that you'd be moving here, that you'd be moving in our hearts, and that you'd open our hearts and our ears to hear and receive your word, Lord. And I pray above all things that you are glorified here tonight. Amen. So when I was a little girl, I had um, this idea that I would be married at 22. My mum was married at 22, so it only seemed logical that I would be as well. Um, But as I came towards my 22nd year of life, I soon realised I didn't have a boyfriend and I wasn't any close to getting one, which meant this dream of being married at 22 was not going to happen. Since then, the desire hasn't changed. I'd still like to get married and there are a number of things that run through my head when I think about this desire and why God hasn't delivered on it. The first one is that it's bad for me to want this. Like, because I should want God more. I should want God the most. He's number one. But this doesn't take away the fact that I still feel this deep desire to one day be someone's wife. After all, it was God who said it's not good for man to be alone and he did create Eve to be a helper to Adam so it kind of proves to me it's in my DNA to want this. So if it's not that the desire is inherently wrong, then it must be that there's something wrong with me. I'm not pretty enough or I'm not ready enough to have a husband. I'm too confident. I'm not confident enough. It'll happen when I least expect it. I'm not putting myself out there enough. I need to ask God for it every day. I need to make a list. I need to then take that list, screw that list up and throw it out the window. I need, I need, I need, I need... Or maybe I just need to be me with him. 
So if the desire isn't wrong and there's essentially nothing wrong with me, then it must be because the timing's not right. Um, Maybe because God just might be asking me to wait for his best instead of who I would choose for myself. So often we think that the reason that the dream or the promise or the desire hasn't come to pass is because there's something wrong with us. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not equipped enough. I'm not good enough. When in actual fact, it's not about what God is leading you to, but what he's wanting to do in you. Too often we bring the focus back to ourselves and our inability instead of God's ability. There is any number of reasons that the Lord only knows as to why this desire of mine hasn't been met. What it has resulted in thus far is an understanding of what it means to wait well. I don't by any means have this down pat because there are days when it just sucks to wait because waiting just sucks. The challenge, though, has always been to wait well. How do you do that? How does someone actually wait well? How do you remain patient for the desires of your heart? Is there such a thing as being comfortable whilst you wait for the Lord to move or deliver on that desire? So I work for an online clothing store and we monitor very closely how quickly our store loads when you visit our site. And if it takes any longer than about three to five seconds, then I begin to lose you and potentially the sale. Three to five seconds is about as long as any of us are willing to wait for a web page to load. In my research uh, for this sermon, I came across an image that really put waiting into like biblical context for me. It said this, Noah waited 120 years, Abraham waited 25 years, Jacob waited 20 years, Joseph waited 13 years, Moses waited 40 years. If God is making you wait, you're in good company. I love that. If God is making you wait, you're in good company. So if God is asking us to wait, and that means we're in good company, then it only seems right that we take a look at the company that we keep. Because even though we may have read these stories in a matter of minutes, they actually took years for them to be written. Let's start with Noah. Noah waited 120 years from when God told him to build an ark to actually seeing the ark filled and floating. 120 years. That's 120 years of people thinking you're insane. 120 years of questioning if you really are insane because no one on earth has confirmed what you believe the Lord has told you. Plus, you're building a boat nowhere near water. 120 years of hard labour. 120 years of having to keep the faith. 120 years of faithful service. That's 120 years of uncomfortable waiting. All the while trusting that God wasn't making him look like a fool for no reason at all. What about Jacob? This is one for anyone who's looking for a spouse. So Jacob sees this really hot chick and decides he wants to marry her. Rachel's dad said, sure, but you have to work for me for seven years. Then you can take her as your wife. So Jacob did it. And on the night of his wedding, his sneaky father-in-law actually has him wed his other daughter, Leah. And by the time Jacob realises, it's too late. He angrily confronts his father-in-law who says he will give Jacob his daughter, Rachel, so long as he works for another seven years. That's 14 years for the woman he originally wanted, living near her, seeing her every day, having the very thing he's waiting for right at his fingertips, 
but he can't have it. That's some serious uncomfortable waiting. Or what about Joseph? Locked up in a jail cell, knowing he's been promised more, but instead must sit in a dark cell and constantly interpret other people's dreams, but not being able to realise his own. It would be very easy to get caught up in where he was physically positioned. Being locked up would kill your spirit pretty quickly. That's some uncomfortable waiting. But I think the most intriguing person who waited in the Bible is Moses. Moses waited 40 years, wandered the desert for 40 years, had to look after a whingy bunch of Israelites for 40 years, and he never got to see what he was waiting for. Yet, he is counted as one of the greatest men of the Bible, favoured by God. You'd feel pretty annoyed if you were Moses, right? You had me wander all those years taking care of a disgruntled group of people and I'm not allowed to enter the promised land. That seems really unfair, God. I think we can learn a lot from Moses about waiting. Not just waiting, but waiting well. I'm sure there were days when these men struggled to wait for the Lord, struggled to see Him at work, struggled to know if the promises given to them were real or even going to come to pass. But waiting well is not about receiving what you're waiting for. It's about glorifying God in the waiting. And when we can get the glorifying of God right in the waiting, that's when the pain of waiting begins to ease and we can experience a deep, nourishing peace in our waiting season. And that is waiting well. So in my season of waiting, there are three things. Three reflections I want to share with you tonight that have helped me and my prayer is that they help you in whatever it is that you're waiting on the Lord for. The first one is this, eyes on the promise maker and not on the promise. If we're going to get comfortable in waiting for God to deliver on His promises or our dreams, then the first step is to actually believe in the promise or dream or desire of your heart. It's there for a reason. God has given it to you for a purpose. It's not meant to remain idle. It is not meant to remain hidden. It is not redundant. But more importantly, we need to believe in the one who gave us the promise or dream or desire in the first place. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Yes, I was always going to reference that passage tonight. (laughs) Always. If we look at the whole psalm though, we can see that it's not a psalm about getting the desires of your heart, but rather how to wait for the desires of your heart. Verse three says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. A little context about this psalm is that it was written by King David during a time in his life where it seemed like everyone else around him was succeeding and he wasn't. In this psalm, we're called to not look at what other people are getting or how they might be succeeding. We just need to trust Jesus, trust he's given us this desire or promise or dream 
and trust that he will bring it into existence. We just need to wait for him to do it. If we look back at the other key verses in this psalm, particularly verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I don't know about you, but the imagery in this phrase, dwell in the land or dwell in the Lord and enjoy safe pasture, fills me with such peace. For as I keep my eyes fixed on the one who has promised good to me and not the circumstances around me, where it appears as though everyone else is receiving the, what my heart desires, then I'm filled with peace. When we, when we are still before the Lord and wait patiently, he promises to make our righteous reward shine like the noonday. So if we're going to wait comfortably, we need to make sure our eyes are fixed on the promise maker, not on the promise. For Moses, walking the waiting season well was not about arriving at the promised land. It was about walking well with God. And he did it so well, he actually got to see God. And you can read about that in Exodus 33. So eyes on the promise maker, not on the promise. The second thing I've learned in this season of waiting is that you need to wait expectantly. Psalm 130, 5 to 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. The psalmist is comparing waiting expectantly on the Lord to the night guards of the city who watch the passage of time in anticipation of the coming dawn when they would be released from duty. Think about that. The promise is that the dawn is that dawn will come, but you can't see it yet. The attitude of the watchman in waiting is eagerness, expectation, it will come. We're called to wait wholeheartedly and with expectation. Waiting isn't about sitting idly in the hopes God will do something. It's about believing he will, that he will and to anticipate it. Practically for me, this means two things. The first one is keeping first things first. The psalm says, in his word, I put my hope. That means we need to be in daily pursuit of Jesus in his word and our lives. It is so important to walk closely with the Lord during a waiting season. He is the only thing that will sustain you. So your prayer and your quiet times, all those seemingly little practices will actually have a significant effect on your waiting season. The second one is knocking on the doors that present themselves but not being disheartened if they don't open. You have to knock. You have to try the door. And if it opens, then great. But if it doesn't, then it's not the promise. It might look like it. It might smell like it, but it's not the promise. And if you're going to wait, then you may as well wait for the right door to open. Finally, waiting well for the promise or dream is about persevering. Yes that word. Because it isn't easy to wait. No one wants to have to wait. But if any of the great men of the Bible I mentioned earlier gave up, can you imagine the consequences? What if, um, what if Noah just stopped halfway through building an ark? What if Moses never went to Pharaoh? What if Joseph never was sold into slavery? It's about maintaining a steady course and not stopping. I've never been much of a gardener. In fact, I think I killed my succulent this week. (laughs) 
It doesn't even need water. <laughs> it's a really disturbing thing. But if we look at a gardener who plants a seed in the ground, uh, from the surface, it doesn't look like there's a lot happening. But something is changing. That seed is changing. The gardener has to wait patiently for that seed to germinate, push through the soil, grow to maturity, and then produce fruit. But he doesn't sit by and wait for that plant to do its thing. No, he waters it. He tends to it. He prunes away the branches that aren't healthy. He perseveres in the hope that the plant will produce fruit. If our farmer friend planted the seed and then gave up, then there would be no fruit for him to, to harvest. Perseverance is about being of single mind and single heart and ultimate belief that the Lord will do what he has promised he would. It says in James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So waiting well is about keeping your eyes on the promise maker, expectantly waiting on God to move in our hopes and dreams and being of single mind in perseverance. But if waiting has taught me anything, and if you're going to take away anything tonight, it is this. It ultimately comes down to a choice. If God is calling you to wait, if he's calling you to wait in anticipation and expectation, then you actually choose if you're going to do that well or not. That's on you. That's not on God. So if you're in this season of waiting, and let's face it, who isn't? We're all waiting for something, a family member to come to the Lord, a financial burden to be released, a job opportunity to open up, an identity realised, a spouse to be found, whatever you're waiting for. I want to remind you of our promise maker, the one who will deliver on his promises in accordance with his will. For your promise maker, for your God is your promise maker. He is your deliverer. He is your creator, your provider, redeemer, comforter, protector, mediator, advocate, father, friend, forgiver, saviour, healer, your shield, your peace, your strength, your rock, your resting place, your strong tower, your hope, your comfort, your beginning, your end, and ultimately your portion forever. So if he is asking you to wait, you're in good company. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much um, that you are with us in our waiting season. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us to hold out, to persevere, to wait, to believe, Lord, that you are going to move in those moments when it is so hard and is so tough. I pray that we can keep our eyes on the promise maker and not on the promise, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that ultimately we will see your glory revealed and that our righteous reward will shine like the noonday sun. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.